Hello, everybody. I know it's been a while, but welcome back to the Kelly Green Hour. I'm your host, LJ Harrell, and as always, joining me is my co-host, Connor. Connor, it's been a while, but we're getting into the thick of the NFL offseason with the draft less than two weeks away. Absolutely, man. I am so excited. One of my favorite times of the year, despite the disappointment, Howie undoubtedly brings at this time of year every single season. You still can't help but get excited, and I guess for fantasy too, since I'm a big fantasy guy, I love to see where everybody falls, um, what needs get addressed, what opportunities get get shown or appear or get addressed as well. So it, it's a fun time. Everybody's got to love the draft, whether you have to watch how he screw up the Eagles worse or whether you just watch it for the amusement that it's the best draft in professional sports. Yes, it is, because we actually know these players. Um, you look at NHL draft, those players don't get to the to the NHL for, what, two, three, four years sometimes. You, you look at the MLB draft, those players don't get to the Some the of them never for, even make yeah, it. Yeah, or never even make it, two, three, four years, or never even make it. And it's in the middle of the season. It's weird. Uh, both, mm-hmm. I think both of them are, like, in the middle of the season. Um, yep. you, you go to the NBA most of those, most of the NBA play, or college players coming to the NBA, you know, but there's nothing like the, the the NFL. The NFL is king in America. It's always it's going to be king in America for for years to come. Um, so it, it's always and the NFL off season, where in the past it used to be you actually got an off season. No, the NFL is now a 12 month sport. You know, you you have the the you have the regular season which runs from what we'll say. From regular season through the Super Bowl, September through February, September, mm-hmm. October, November, December, January, February. What's that? Six months. That's you can all be, You can probably count August too, because everyone's yeah, hyped have, up. The preseasons there, the off-season yeah. training, like. So like you have you have so from August through February, you ha- you have you know football. Uh, that's seven months. Then as soon as the season ends, it's not like let's go on vacation. It's like now what? Do, how do we improve our teams? Um, and then as fans, we we sit there and. and Mock, do mock draft after mock draft. Look at the free agents that are coming up. You know, we don't, we, we do not allow there to be an offseason in the NFL. And that's how big of a giant the NFL is now. And it's always going to be a giant. You know, all these people talking about how, you know, ratings are dead. The ratings aren't dead. The ratings have been the highest that they've ever been. Um, the, the NFL just, didn't they just do like a $10 billion deal. Uh, I think it was something. hundred hundred billion dollars deal between all of the, the channels. Yeah, a hundred billion dollar media media deal. So all those people that are saying the NFL is gonna is, is gonna die and go away, yeah, it's not going anywhere. You guys can shut the hell up. And those people that say, oh, I'm gonna I'm not gonna worry about what you know say the Eagles are doing because they kneel. Yeah, right. They're still checking the pay, whether it's the internet, uh, social media. They're still checking to see how the Eagles do. So that's my that's my rant for for this week. You know, those people that claim to not care about the NFL, they're all phonies. They're all liars. They they care. They're always going to care. And the NFL is not going anywhere. Um, while the level of play on the field may, may dwindle a little bit because of, of some of the, the bad calls or some of the rules that they're putting into place, the game, the, the, the National Football League, the, the league itself, the game of football, it's going nowhere. It's always going to be here. And the Eagles are always going to be here. And that's what we're actually – we're going to talk about them, obviously, today and – you know, going forward, that as being that we are, you know, we are the Kelly Green Hour. Uh, we, we love the Eagles. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about. And, you know, it's not going anywhere. So all those people, again, mm-hmm. that claim, hey, 
you know, the NFL is just going to dwindle away. It's not, y'all can shut up. It's not going anywhere. People love, people love violence. People love the, the, just a pure passion in football. And, and we, we like to bring that through the Kelly green hour as well. And speaking of the off season, it is uh, 1128 Eastern time, but about an hour and a half ago, some big breaking news dropped. The Philadelphia Eagles are now the, I believe sixth or seventh team to uh, through the NFLPA announced that they will not take part in any in-person voluntary um, uh, off season exercises that begin to take place after the draft. Um, I just want to start before we dig into the roster and break down the depth chart and grade what the depth chart looks like pre-draft. I just kind of want to chat with you what your feelings are about what the NFLPA is doing here with the um, with the move that they made to to push the players to not participate in these exercises. Um, in person and the fact of the the fact that it's a slow kind of transition not everybody is do reacting at once to this but we're now at like I said I think it's between six and eight teams that have done it that have agreed that they're not going to do it and the Eagles are one of them what do your what's your opinion on it as far as as overall the overall feel of this whole situation and the NFLPA doing this and also what it means for Nick Sirianni who brand new coach almost entirely new coaching staff beyond what the uh, offensive line coach Jeff Stoutland coming back like you would think that these are very important and it sucks but hopefully Nick Sirianni will come up with some sort of uh, non-in-person Zoom meetings type of training that, that he can still build that rapport with the team but what's your overall thoughts on this? I mean I get it safety obviously with you know COVID still running rampant um while you know there are vaccines available still like so I get the safety the aspect of it but when you think about the quality of football um without preseason last year you know that first four four weeks four or five weeks of the season that was preseason for all games and games weren't played as um what word am I looking for you know, games weren't played as flawless as we usually anticipate. Obviously, mm-hmm. every every year, the, the beginning of the year is, is, is sloppy, but it, it was even more sloppy. Now you you sit here and you worry about the number of ACL injuries that might go up, the number of hamstring injuries that might go up, any tendons that could get hurt. Like, all that stuff is going to rise because you're not out there, you know, being physical, running around. Like, you, everything – you may be doing it on your own, but – the difference between an NFL camp and an NFL working out and maybe going to your local gym or working out in your home gym or something is totally different. Um, so that's where, you know, that, that's one of the concerns. And when it comes to Nick Sirianni, you know, I, it's a whole new system, offense, defense, everything new. Um, so getting, you know, you might be able to get your players their, their playbooks but when you're not sitting there running through the plays on the field, there's gonna you're gonna have to take that extra time when you actually get to involuntary uh, um, camps, when you actually or when you get to mandatory camps, um, that's extra time you have to, to go through the playbook, uh, running through the motions, making sure everybody is is lining up in the right gap, or making sure everybody's cutting at the you know seven yards and not ten yards, or making sure all this stuff gets gets taken care of. So that's extra time. The NFL and, and, you know, better hope that there are preseason games this year. Because if there aren't preseason games this year and you're going to go through a, a, an offseason where you're not going to have 
in-person workouts, it's going to be very sloppy that, you know, again, the first month of the season. And obviously, and I, and I, again, on the outside, I mentioned that if I was not going anywhere, people were still going to watch, you know, um, so the NFL is really not worried about that, but just the quality of play isn't, isn't going to be as good. Also, you know, if you think about it, a lot of players could be missing out on money. You have workout bonuses that you're not going to get now because you're not going to voluntary workouts. A lot of players, especially that are lower, like, uh, on the depth chart, they may get, be able to get a couple hundred thousand dollars extra by showing up to these, vol- to these, to these voluntary workouts, um, but now they're not going to see that money. So there's a, there's positives to it. There's negatives to it. But I and I do understand where the where the NFLPA is coming from. But I think the NFLPA is at a point where they need to figure out what to do with leadership. I don't think the Moore Smith is the guy that should be running or that should be leading the NFLPA. I think he's leading them down a bad road. Um, and again. It, it, it's tough to say without being in, in these meetings and whatnot. And again, mm-hmm. with COVID happening, I understand why they're doing it, but they have to find a way to, to figure it out, you know, good for the game, good for the players, because there's going to be a bunch of injuries again this year because they're not going out there and getting their bodies right before camp starts. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think like there was probably a better way to sit down and meet, and address this situation between the NFL and the NFLPA. I mean, like, there's really very little that the NFLPA has to be really pissed off about, but I do get the safety concerns. They just got a brand new $100 billion TV deal where the split is, what, 51% to 49%. So the players get back 49% of that. And, like, so there's a lot of money being tossed around. They, the NFL has agreed in principle to a lot of things that the players want. And, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess the NFL's just like, as long as we come back in September and we're playing football, you guys do whatever you want with your offseason. Work it out with your teams. Work it out with your staff. Work it out with your players. But we are still going forward with week one of the NFL when we say we're going. And when the mandatory OTAs start, you guys better start showing up. And I think that that's just... Probably the stance that the NFL has taken is these are voluntary. This hurts your team more than it hurts our game. And we know people are going to tune in. We know fans are going to, we're hoping that come week one, fans are going to be in the seats. They know butts are going to be in seats because, I mean, look, the Texas Rangers are a terrible baseball team. They were the first team to come out and say that they wanted a full stadium for their first game of the year. And they had a full stadium. Front Without people wearing back. masks. Yep, Without front to back masks. all over the place. They had fans. Scene. So you know when, oh, it was the worst scene. I was like, oh, up in Canada, like, that's cringeworthy. We're sitting there like, Bro, what is the U.S. Not doing? Not to change the subject, but when I was watching the Phillies Braves in Atlanta and I saw a bunch of people in Atlanta without masks, that was, and, there weren't even, and it wasn't even a sold-out stadium, that was still cringeworthy. Exactly. Like, I mean, I think at least at the very least, you got to make sure that you're wearing masks and and doing something in the in the name of public safety. But at the end of the day, you know, the minute they announce it, if they say 25 percent, 30 percent, 50 percent, 100 percent capacity allowed, you know, it's a sellout in every stadium, pretty much every stadium up to that capacity that they're going to say. So they know people are going to be in seats. They know that these voluntary workouts are voluntary and they know that it only stands to benefit the teams, especially the teams who have new coaching staffs implementing new uh 
in implement new playbooks, all this type of stuff. So, I mean, it, it's, it only stands to benefit the teams over the NFL overall. And that's why I don't think the NFL is making a big scene about this. But once the mandatory OTAs come and if something like this happens, then there could be a situation. But I do think the way the NFLPA went about it was a little bizarre. They just kind of dropped this statement, bombshell statement saying we recommend all team, all players to not show up to this. And kind of leave the teams and the players in this weird situation. Like, well, what do we do? Like, I it was weird. To me, it was weird. It just kind of dropped. And, and then some t- teams have followed suit. But there's clearly some skepticism amongst the players and amongst the teams. If there isn't 100%, yes, we stand with the NFLPA in their statement. You know, I just find that that's very weird. I feel like there is a divide even within the Players Association that this hasn't become 100% that teams are committed to this. So I don't that's I why find I, that really weird. And that's why I say they need new leadership at the top. Tamar Smith, you know, he, he was good for them at the beginning, like when he, at the beginning of his tenure. But I think that they need some new leadership, somebody else to represent them for their, to, to put their best interests forward. Um, I, I do think Tamar Smith kind of may have backdoor dealings with like, the, the NFL side of it. And again, I am, I'm not privy to any of this. I don't know it to be true, but I do feel like he, he, he lean tries to lean towards the NFL and be like, Hey, you know, I'll do what I can to help you guys out. And, but doesn't take the best interests of the players. If that makes any sense. Definitely. It's a, it's a really weird situation at the end of the day. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of money being tossed around, but I feel like, at, as an overall stance, I feel like the NFL and the NFLPA are kind of at a pretty good spot. Like, you don't see the crossroads like there used to be. Now it's just kind of like the NFLPA, like you said, there's like a weird leadership style at the top right now. And it's kind of making you think, like, what's going to happen? What more is going to happen? Like, we, we can't, obviously, you can't have these situations constantly happen and drag out. Obviously, like, the NFL understands the player safety issue and the COVID situation and same with the coaches and same with the teams. But the the fact that there isn't a hundred percent compliance with this stuff, not even compliance, a hundred percent agreement with it is just weird. I find, I just thought that that was a good spot to start talking about it because it was just announced that the Eagles would be one of those teams. And the Eagles are one of those teams that I think vitally needs the voluntary workouts, but I completely understand why they don't want to do it. And I completely stand with the decision by the Philadelphia Eagles because COVID is clearly nothing to, to laugh about. It's something we definitely need to take seriously. And it's something that continues to live with us. And I think will continue to live with us forever because we still don't have 100, a vaccine that's 100% effective with against it and stuff. So I think it's kind of like the flu. It's something that's going to be around, but it's just a matter of trying to limit the impact that it will have and I think this is the this is the NFL's NFLP's way of saying we want our players as healthy as possible because we know the long term ramifications of what COVID does to the body, what it does to the lungs, what it does to certain parts of the system. So they're just trying to make sure that their players can play at the top level and that there's no real health concerns heading towards the season. And why voluntary is one of those things where it's like, it's voluntary. They should have the choice. And this is one of those situations where really the choice should be 100% up to the players. And the NFLP is just standing by the fact that they want the best, for health and safety for the players right now. 
Yeah, and you'll see it if, if there isn't 100% like compliance on that throughout the league. There will be a competitive advantage for those teams that show up, those teams that, that show up to voluntary camps. And so hopefully, like you said, every team, you know, everybody does the same thing to keep the, the, the competitive advantage the same. But but we'll see. Um, so we today we really wanted to discuss the depth chart. One thing I wanted to bring up, um, and then I know next week we're going to do our, our mock draft with the NFL draft less than two weeks away. But did you see that um, report that came? I think it was by the athletic. I'm not hundred percent sure ranked Howie Roseman, 21 of 23, when it, of 23 GMs. And they took, you know, the newer GMs out because they haven't had a chance to, mm-hmm. to kind of build, build their reputation up in terms of, of drafting players. But Howie Roseman was ranked 21 of 23. And I kind of think this goes into our depth chart discussion, because if you look at the depth chart, uh, it's not good. The Eagles, dep- the Eagles roster is a bad roster right now, and a lot of that blame goes to Howie Roseman and the way he has built this roster. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I stand with it. I think that Howie Roseman is the type of GM who's caught, who sticks with his guys too long. I mean, we see that in the in some of the situations where some of these veterans are getting older and they got tens of millions of guaranteed money still on the books, and he's having to restructure and push more of that guaranteed money down the road, like. Brandon Graham and stuff like that, like Brand, like Jason Kelsey is a better example. Kelsey is one of those guys who's got 15 million dead whenever this contract ends. Whenever he opts to retire, that man is making bank off of Howie Roseman kicking that contract further and further down the road. You see the same in Fletcher Cox's contract. You see the same in Brandon Graham's contract. We've caught up with his game and the NFL as a whole has caught up with his game that he's just kicking dead money down the road that has to be paid out eventually. And it's just how far down the road, how much money do you want to keep piling up at the end? And how are you going to do it? Are you going to do it with the pre-June 1st designation where you eat it all in one year? Or are you going to do a post-June 1st and spread it across two years? How are you going to have that dead money spread out? And, and so like, at this point, he's not a magician. He's not good with the cap. He's not as good as we thought. The people who are good with the cap are the people who, kind of like the Chiefs, they front load contracts, they back load contracts, they do what they got to do. But and they sometimes they'll build in some of those like some of the some of the the void years where the money kicks down the road a little bit, but never to the extent that the Eagles have. They build in those void years, and those void years are worth a fortune. Those void years are worth like ten, fifteen million dollars, and you have to eat it at the end of, at the fir- at the first point that the void years kick in it just makes zero sense to me like we always thought that he was this magician and at the end of the day it's like he's only a, he's only a magician or you're only a magician with the salary cap if you are good at working with the player and negotiating with the player and minimizing the dead cap at the end of the day and he's just not good at that he just creates further dead cap like people are like, oh, we got 44 million. It's one of the highest in the NFL. Oh, you guys have not seen anything yet about what's coming in the next two years, the next three years. There is a lot, a lot, a lot of dead caps still to come and still to eat. 44 million is really almost nothing. I think I feel compared to what we may be seeing down the road. And I get that the cap goes up, so it doesn't look as bad. But that should not play any factor into seeing how much dead cap is there and how much wasted money is there and the treatment like we've seen so many reports about the treatment of Carson Wentz the clear divide between coach and manager and manager and owner even like this 
organization is an absolute mess mm-hmm. from salary cap to manager to owner to positionally we are a complete yeah. mess yeah it's, it, it doesn't look good and all the reports that you you've talked about them coming out all at the same time um yeah it does it does not look good um on, on howie roseman and and jeffrey lurie um and it's all on them now like if, if nick sirianni fails it's not because Nick Sirianni failed. It's because Howie Roseman just didn't put a good team together. It's because they didn't do their due diligence. Um, before before we look at the roster, I did want to. We we ha- we haven't had a chance to talk about the trade that the Eagles made last week. Um, ah, they yes. trade. Um, there was those three trades. First, San Francisco moving up to number three with the Dolphins, um, trading the 12th pick and among others, and then the Dolphins trading the 12th pick to the Eagles for the sixth pick, and the Eagles getting a first rounder next year. Uh, among other picks. So the, the Eagles potentially have three first round picks next year, depending on what, what Carson does in Indy. And then there's, there's talk of the Eagles possibly moving back into the top 10. It, it's like, look, I don't know if Howie Roseman has a plan. It's like Jeffrey Lurie told Howie, Howie, I want to see you do something. And Howie's like, okay, I'm going to trade out. Of, I'm going to move back. And then watch me move back. Or I'm going to move back out of the top 10. And then watch me move back into the top 10. And it's like, He's trying to self-preserve because he could go to, to Jeffrey Lurie and be like, look at the picks that we have over the next couple of years. Give me a chance to make these picks because I've made these moves. And then you'll see, you'll see the plan. You'll see, you'll see everything come into come come clear if you let me make these picks. But then you see that report where he's the 21st out of 23 GMs and making picks. He can't be trusted. But mm-hmm. somehow, some way, for some reason, he has Jeffrey Lurie's ear. You know, and and it's it I feels so much like a and I hate using this statement because it's so overused and so overabused in Philly. But does this not feel like a trust the process situation? And and how he's just like, no, 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 wait a year. And then that year comes and he calls. You're talking he, to the he, wrong he, person because I hate that basket. I know, I know, I know. But like <laughs> then he gets a bunch more picks. He gets a bunch more assets. And he's like, wait, 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 one more year, one more year. Look at all these picks. Look at these assets. And it, it just, to me, it just feels like a, like, I don't know what it is between Howie and Jeffrey. They have one of the weirdest relationships, I think, in the NFL between owner and manager. And they have one thing in mind, and that is to seemingly have their coaches and quarterbacks constantly fail. That's, I don't know, maybe that's just me. But it just feels like they have that idea in mind, fixated in their mind that, we should always have a second quarterback ready to take the job of the first quarterback at the moment that the first quarterback messes up and don't give the coach anything to really win with. That's honestly, since 2017, that's what it's felt like. He's like, he's been trying to keep this team together and they're getting older and older injuries upon injuries, piling up, losing, like wasting assets on terrible draft picks. Like we're at this crossroads now where we revisit the shows that we did three, four months ago, and we say simply, Howie had to go. If you were going to get rid of Doug, you had to get rid of Howie, mm-hmm. but they had to go together or just Howie go. I feel like because now all these reports that emerged about Doug Peterson and the whole organization in general, and you're sitting there and you're saying, man, they did not let Doug Peterson coach. They didn't give him any opportunity to be responsible for even the game day personnel that were stepping on the field he didn't even have the responsibility of and that just 
to me, that just hurts because I like Doug Peterson, man. I thought he was a good guy. But and even Jim Schwartz, it's kind of feeling like, yes, was he very stagnant in his in how he ran his 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 like his style 100 percent he was you had to fit his style or you weren't going to work in that defense but at the end of the day if Howie is sending if Howie's like the manager the manager of a baseball club sending you down the game day card and saying here's who you got to play with how do you game plan for that he sends it down to you on Saturday morning or Saturday at some point Friday or Saturday and says here's your raw here's who this 52 men you're playing with this week how do you work with that? How do you play with that? Like, And it feels like they had no say in anything that happened during the drafts and who they drafted. It sounded like they wanted Justin Jefferson. They wanted Jeremy Chin. They got Justin, J- they got Jalen Reger and they got uh, Jalen Hurts. Like, how do you work with that as a coach, as you an can. offensive coordinator, as a defensive coordinator? You can't. And that's why, you know, Jim Schwartz got out before, you know, all hell broke loose. and you know, quote-unquote, retired, but now he's back in the league with Tennessee. Like, he he knew what was coming. Um, You know, and then there were, there were reports back in 2016, uh, I think yeah, it was in 2016, where Jeffrey Lurie used to have meetings with Jim Schwartz about the possibility of him taking over for Doug because they didn't know, like, if going into the 2017 season, it, it was if Doug, you know, struggles early on, we're going to let him go, and you're going to take – like. You can't be going behind your coach's back. This is and and this is why I think Doug, when when Doug had his two meetings with Lori, and after the first one, it was like you need to come back with a better plan. And he probably went back with the same one, is because he has no faith in this front office and his ownership. And and it's bad to say because remember we always thought that Jeffrey Lori was r- such a good owner, and he probably still he, he could still be considered a really good owner. But when he's being caught or when he's being finagled by Howie Roseman. And, and letting Howie Roseman just get away with everything that he's getting away with. If I'm Doug, I want out too. I'm not going to mm-hmm. be belittled. I'm not going to be treated like a baby by, by this by, by this guy who's not a football guy who has no idea what he's doing. He should not be make he should not be making the game day roster. He should he should listen to his scouts. Like this team could be a lot better. To, to, you know, we could be in a lot better position with you know a better roster if it wasn't for Howie. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and we can go all the way back to Chip. Chip was telling us something. Chip just handled it wrong. Because if Chip Kelly would have handled it differently, we might be, we might not be, uh, you know, we might have been away with this, with Howie Roseman. Obviously, we don't know if we would have we won a Super Bowl. And obviously, this, winning a Super Bowl trumps a lot of things. And, and that's why Howie kind of was given some leeway for a year or two. But it, it's over now. You need to hit. On the this year, this draft, you have the most picks in the league right now. Um, depending on trades, obviously, if you don't get five, six, seven legit players from this draft, you need to go. Yeah, definitely. I mean, back. I mean, I know we got a little off topic, but back to the trade at hand. Um, I I really I like the trade back because you know you need the assets. You understand that you need more assets. And I mean, if the rumors are true that it's because of a Watson or Wilson deal, I hate the move back. But if it's because he's actually going to use those assets to churn in this really good team, unless he hammers this draft out of the ballpark, and he would need every pick. 
It's a pretty deep wide receiver class. It's a deep corner class, solid offensive line class. I When we dig into the depth chart, I think that that's often an overstated need, but it doesn't hurt to grab a lineman or two and definitely get Jason Kelsey's future uh, replacement there as well in the draft. But like at the end of the day for me, if you are accumulating these assets to go out and get a quarterback, I hate it. If you're accumulating these assets to build a roster and to build a, a good young roster that's going to flourish into something, I love it. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Would I love Deshaun Watson? Definitely. But I think we need to pump the brakes. we got to let things run its course and stop with these reports. Stop with this. What if we had Deshaun Watson? Right now, we have to respect the situation that's going on and let the NFL, as much as I hate their investigative ways, the NFL and the judicial system run its course and just stop talking about Deshaun Watson. Stop giving it the attention it deserves. That's what that's what the competing lawyer wants. And that's what Deshaun Watson like doesn't want is this media frenzy and media attention. Let's just let it run its course. And if it's Russell Wilson, okay. But still, like you, you have to remember. By the time you you're able to do something with it next year, you're looking at a 32, 33 year old quarterback. So, I mean, at this point, we have to pump the brakes on all these rumors about quarterbacks. Let's give Jalen Hurts the opportunity that he so rightfully deserves. If you buy those last four weeks of the season, give him the opportunity that he deserves to do his job. Give him the weapons that he needs. And honestly, at this point, if he trades up you know that that's going to cost you at least a three and a four two threes some sort of combination like that and then you lose two picks you go from what are we 11 or 12 picks to nine picks and you need every last one of those 11 picks and you need to nail on every one of those 11 picks and build a roster and give Jalen Hurts the proper weapons that he deserves and then we see what next year brings. Then, if everything lands right, you have your three first-rounders, and we can talk next year if the Deshaun Watson stuff blows over, if Russell Wilson's still available. We can talk about it then, but that's not happening this so, year and how he has to think about this year. So I disagree in the fact that if we could get to – if all the legal stuff takes care of itself and he was in no wrong and all that, and he's deemed eligible and all that to play in all, you know, by the NFL – and if you can get a 24-year-old Deshaun Watson, who's a top-five quarterback in the league, you do it. So I, I disagree with you there. The one thing about the trade that I hate is that you moved behind Dallas and New York and the Giants. Mm -hmm. I hate that part because now we're going to sit here, and if they still pick at 12, you're going to have to judge whoever we take at 12 against who the Dolphins take at 6, who Dallas takes at 10, who the Giants take at 11. That's the thing that bothers me the most because – Dallas now has the potential of moving up and getting a Kyle Pitts. Uh, obviously, we know that that defense um, needs help. Like, they, they should go defense, but we also thought the same thing last year, and they took C.D. Lamb. Um, so, say Dallas, because apparently the reports are Jerry Jones is infatuated with, with uh, getting adding Kyle Pitts to his offense. Uh, if like you that. added Pitts to that offense, now, again, I'm going to still be of the same conversation as I was last year. It was, you know, they're going to score 40, but that defense is still going to give up 40. So they might, they may still go eight and nine or seven and 10, which in this division might be enough to win it. Who knows? But still, mm -hmm. they have to be able to stop people in order to, to win games. Um, but then, and then the Giants, they just, they added Kenny Galladay, but 
But there's still talk of them possibly getting a Jalen Waddle, a Devontae Smith if they're available, uh, even though they need help on the offensive line. And then when you get to 12, like if, in the back of my mind, we know that the Eagles need help at the skill position. They need help at receiver. They need help at corner. But something tells me how he's going to go with, like, say, Quinny Pay, the defensive end from mm-hmm. Mich- Michigan. or And obviously we'll get into this more next week. But, like, he's going to go on the offensive defensive line, which is they don't have that. Do they have a need? Yes. But they have bigger needs at other positions that they need to take care that they need to address, which they could have done at six. You could have gotten a very, very, very good player at six, whether it was Chase, whether it was Pitts, whether it was Smith, uh, whether, you know, Sertan, who they possibly could still get at 12. You know, um, they could have gotten a legit playmaker at six, and we don't know if that player is going to be there at 12, and you're going to have to judge whoever they take at 12 to who the Dolphins take at six, Dallas takes at 10, and the Giants take at 11. Yeah, and I mean, when we consider the bigger picture, there seems to be a significant value on on Pitt moving into the top 10 right now. So maybe that changes by draft day for Howie and when he's on the clock and he has to make that decision to make the deal. But at this point, I feel like it's a significant cost to the team and it could cost assets that we really need. Um but I mean, for now, we wait, we sit back, we see, and we continue to ride this roller coaster that is being a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Um, but I mean, we'll definitely dive into that draft a lot more next week because we're going to release both of our official final stand with stand with them mock drafts that we're going to go into the draft with. But let's let's dive into this depth chart. Yeah, uh, let's do that. Let's start out at the uh, quarterback position because it is the most important position in all of sports <clears throat> excuse me um so Jalen Hurts is the starter at least as of right now and his backup is Joe Flacco um you know my grade for the quarterback position right now is a C because I, I just don't know I, I I like Jalen Hurts a lot I loved him in college um and I thought coming out in that draft that he was gonna, the potential to be the best quarterback in that draft including Joe Burrow to a and whatnot, and then he got drafted by the Eagles in a really bad situation. Um, without knowing what the Eagles' offense is going to look like, I'm assuming it's going to be run heavy. But you know, so I'm, I'm going to stick at a C right now for the Philadelphia Eagles um, at the quarterback position. But they obviously have a potential to improve with the young player in Jalen Hurts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm I stand with you actually. I definitely would grade it a C. Joe Flacco's literally there as like a placeholder, kind of reminiscent of Josh McCown. Just as more of a backup role, nothing really there. That grade is just null and void to me. The grade is based on Jalen Hurts. I like Jalen Hurts. I like what I've read. I like what I've saw. I like what he's working on. I like what he already has, the intangibles that he already has. He's massive for Miles Sanders' game and opening up the field when you have Jalen Hurts who can move like he can and Miles Sanders who can run like he can. Um, But at the end of the day, it's a C largely because of what's around him and that I want to see more. I don't think the sample size was enough for me in Jalen Hurts. And the weapons need to be there. They need to get him a wide receiver. And we need to kind of, you know, have a better understanding of where we're going. If Zach Ertz is out of the picture, are they going to go tight end? What are they going to do at the tight end position? Do we just roll Dallas Goddard? You know, I really need to see it take more shape. So it's a C. It's more of like a, I give Jalen Hurts himself a B because he is like 
I like what he has. He's got a lot of intangibles. He's got a lot of things you're not going to teach a guy. He came in with a, a good mobile quarterback. I got to see a bit more out of his arm, his accuracy and stuff, because his accuracy in the four games versus the games that, that um, Carson Wentz played was actually inferior to Carson Wentz. So I need to see a little bit more out of that. But his mobility and how much he opens up the field and his ability to work with what he has, which Carson Wentz couldn't when he had to work with Jalen Rager and had to work with Greg Ward and had to work with Travis Fulgham and stuff. He was able to do a lot of work with Quez Watkins. He was able to do a lot of work with those guys that Carson Wentz couldn't. So I give him a B, but the overall positional situation is a C. Um, yeah, so we both agree there. Let's go to running back. Um, they have a stud in Miles Sanders who got underused by Doug Peterson, who I think is going to get, carry, um, get a lot of carries. But at backup, they have somebody who I'm you're a fan of, but I'm not in Boston Scott. I think they definitely need to improve the backup running back position. Um, Jason Huntley, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Jason Huntley and Jordan Howard are also on the team as of right now. Um, obviously, Howard resigned a couple weeks ago, um, but depending on what they do in the draft, uh, Howard may not even make the team. So for running backs, I'm putting it at B only because of Miles Sanders because he is the legit chance to be a 1500 yard back if giving the opportunity um and again they need to improve the backup running back spot boston scott has pleased well against one team and that's the giants um <laughs> other than that boston scott could I, I don't like seeing him returning kicks i don't like seeing him and you know taking carries away from sanders i just don't like it um huntley's there to return kicks but not many kicks get returned as it is um and howard he's we don't know if he's going to make the team. Um, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty sad too because he's what 24, 25 has mm-hmm. but got used a lot in his in his rookie year by the, the Bears and kind of has gone downhill from there. So right now it's going to be I'm going to I'm going to put that at a B minus and that's all Miles Sanders and I just don't like what's behind him. Yeah, um, for me I'm probably going to go with um, I'm probably going to. St- Stick with a B on this one because Miles Sanders really is a massive difference maker. And we saw what Jalen Hurts was able to do for Miles Sanders game. Um, But I agree with you. Like, I mean, Jordan Howard was great thunder to Miles Sanders lightning. But I think that I think later in the draft, we probably go with a a true thumper running back that you compare with Miles Sanders. And then suddenly I'll reevaluate this situation and it might get their B plus, but there's no way it's getting into the A range because we just don't have a true, true game changing difference maker at that position. I love Miles Sanders, but let's be honest. Miles Sanders isn't Alvin Kamara. Miles Sanders isn't Derrick Henry. Miles Sanders isn't someone who you put the ball in his hands and he 100% changes the game completely for you. Um, but that could also be because of what's going on at the wide receiver position and the limited weapons. You can stack the box a little bit more, knowing that you can shut down Miles Sanders because he's probably the top receiving option, clearly the top running option. Um, so I'm going with the B. B? Okay. Um, and also, Sanders is, what, one, I think the only running back with a touchdown run of more than, what, 70 yards? Or with, like, three touchdown rushes of more than 70 yards? Something. I forget what the stat is. But he had one against, or he had a 70-yarder, 75-yarder against the Saints, had one against Pittsburgh, and had that long run against Baltimore that he fumbled, and Ortega Whiteside picked up in the end zone, thinking he actually did something, you know, productive. (laughs) Um, All right, so speaking of receivers, let's move to uh, the wide receiver position. Our starters as of right now are 
Jalen Rager, Travis Fogelm, and Greg Ward. With your backups being Quez Watkins, John Hightower, Ortega Whiteside, Khalil Tate. Yeah, uh, the uh, receivers deserve an F. I'm giving them an F. They have nothing. I, I like Greg Ward in the slot, but when Greg Ward is your best receiver, that's not saying much. Jalen Rager was hurt a lot last year, showed a little bit of, you know, that first game in that on third and what was it, third and 18 or something, caught a 50-yard bomb from Wentz, but, you know, he didn't do much of anything. And then you sit here and you compare him to the guy that everybody or a lot of people wanted the Eagles to take in Justin Jefferson, who didn't he win rookie of the year or should have won rookie of the year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they gave it to Burrow or not, but I forget. But, yeah, you know, Justin Jefferson had an outstanding, was a pro bowler this year. And, and Jalen Rager couldn't see the field or, or was hurt. Um, so this, the receiver position needs to be upgraded. And this is where, when we go back to that, talking, talking about that trade, you stay at six and you take a chase if he's there. Like you have a better opportunity of getting a legit stud if you stay at six. And now you have to pray and hope that the, 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 the draft board fall, falls your way to get somebody of relevance at number 12. That's going to make a difference. You know, because this first round pick that the Eagles are going to make should be a starter right day one. It shouldn't be somebody that's a backup. And that's I feel like how he's going to draft some again, not to get off subject, but he's going to probably draft somebody that's going to be rotational and it's going to piss us off. But the Eagles receiving corps right now needs help, needs a lot of help. They have one of the worst receiving cores, if not the worst receiving core in the NFL. So they get an F for me. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to be as harsh. I'm going to give him a D. I think F really stands for for a complete like you got job, you really can't use any of them. But I do think a guy like Travis Fulgham was definitely over his his contributions were like over over rated in a way yeah definitely over exaggerated um Jalen Reger I think still has a lot of potential but he needs the right person who's going to unlock that potential and get creative with him um Greg Ward I like you say he's a great slot receiver there is a lot of slot receivers coming out in this draft so Greg Ward could be an option that you keep instead of going slot receiver you go with some true X receivers or a true burner receiver that will really help your offense. I liked what I saw from Quez Watkins when paired with Jalen Hurts as the season went on. Um, do I think he's anything truly special? No, let's be honest. He's not nothing amazing. But yeah, there's definitely some major help like a Jamar Chase. Um, I don't love Terrace Marshall, but I think he's got more dog in him than most of this, uh, most of the wide receiving core we already have. Rashad Bateman. There's some guys out there Kadarius who can definitely Tony. come in and make a massive difference. I don't like Kadarius Tony. I will be frank with that. I don't like Kadarius Tony. I think he offers the same as Jalen Rager, but Jalen Rager's better in my eyes. Kadarius Tony does a lot of creating for himself, and he has to be schemed into the proper situations. Whereas Jalen Rager, I actually find, can do a lot more for himself and a lot more for his quarterback. He can go up and get the ball. He can be a burner. Kadarius Tony, I just see as like a true slot option. So I don't love, especially where you have to draft Kadarius Tony. Don't love it, but um, I mean, he could prove me wrong when he comes into the NFL. Um, but yeah, the wide receiver should definitely D, D for sure. It needs a lot of work. You need to draft two or three guys. And if there's a couple receivers who sneak through free agency that you are intrigued by, why not bring someone on board? You can't get any worse. <laughs> um, let's move to, to tight end. Zach Ertz is still on the team. Um, 
<clears throat> excuse me. Uh, will he be on the team uh, come draft weekend? We don't know. But again, I'm of the of the I'm of the premise where if you're not going to get what you want for Ertz, keep him. You'll have it, it can't hurt to to keep Zach Ertz on the team um, with Dallas Goddard. Um, and if they were to get rid of Ertz and they say they didn't draft somebody, you can bring Richard Rogers back. I, I think. Um, I don't think he signed with anybody. I, I think he w- he played very well, had better numbers than Ertz did last year. Um, but that pairing of Ertz and Goddard, I'm going to give them a, 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 a B. I'm going to go with a B because I like that tandem. They, they're, they're top tandem when healthy in the league. And if it stays those two, they could, you know, they could still be a, a dangerous tandem for um, Nick Sirianni's offense. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna give him, I'm gonna give him an A minus. I still really like what Zacherts can bring to the table. I really, I love Dallas Goddard. I like what he can bring to the table. If you can bring Richard Rodgers back, he had a great season last season. So there's, uh, there's, there's something to be said about the tight end position where they have such a really nice tandem. And um, for me, I mean, you can't go wrong. Like if you keep Zacherts, that's you know you're not extending him, but you can use him and abuse him for one more year. And if you trade him, hopefully you get a third, maybe a fourth out of it. I mean, I think a third's too high. I think that's what Howie's been trying to get, and he's not getting any bites. But if you can get a third or a fourth come draft day, I would 100% pull the trigger on that and move on. And you can probably get another tight end from a meh tight end class, but an okay tight end class nonetheless. You could bring back Richard Rodgers, or you could go with a Brevin Jordan or Quentin Morris or some type of guy like that who might be able to produce Hunter Long. There's some options at tight end if you choose to move on, and you can probably get that tight end with the pick you get from Zacherts. Um, so for me, I'm giving it an A- minus because at the end of the day, it's still a good tandem. It's still a top five tandem in the league, I think. so. Yeah, so we'll we'll see how that goes going forward, especially come draft weekend. Uh, let's move to the offensive line. And when healthy, this is the I th- one of the Eagles' top two position groups um, on, on the team. Uh, Lane Johnson at right tackle, Brandon Brooks at right guard, Jason Kelsey at center, Isaac Sayamalo at left guard. And I'm putting I'm starting Jordan, Jordan Maialata at left tackle. Um, I don't care if Andre Dillard was a first-round pick. Maialata is a dog. Maialata has that it has that mentality that he's not he, – he'll – He'll do what he needs to do to get better and to improve, and I don't see that in Andre Dillard right now. Um, I love Jack Driscoll as a backup. I like Nate Herbig. Um, he played really well um, in place of Brandon Brooks last year. You, you mentioned it earlier. They do need to get a replacement for Jason Kelsey because this will most likely be his last year. Um, and, jo- again, Jordan Maialata and Andre Dillard will be battling for that left tackle spot, but I'm going to give it to Maialata right now. Um, and, you know, the only – I think the big difference could be if – how he takes, you know, if Sewell, if Penny Sewell starts dropping and he thinks he can move up to get him or he wants to take, um, who's the, the kid from Northwestern? Um, Rashawn Slater. Rashawn Slater or the kid from USC, Tucker. Um, there, you know, there's three names that the possibility that how he could take and that could possibly be the only change along this offensive line. Not counting, not counting injuries, but I'm giving the the starting offensive line. I'm giving an A. Um, if obviously if they could stay healthy, this is their one of the the top two position groups on on the team is their offensive line. And I think with the injuries the Eagles had last year, we got to see Jack Driscoll, Nate Herbig. So we know, and, and even Jordan Maialata, we know that they have players that can play 
they have depth along this line except center, obviously. So that's where they have to, to fix it. But this offensive line has a chance, again, to be really good if they can stay healthy. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Like I think I like I said earlier in the show, I think it's an often overstated need that we have there. Uh, my dream scenario would be that you're able to get Andre Dillard to move into left guard. I actually Agreed. wouldn't mind Agreed. that move. Uh, I know that people are like, well, you wouldn't move to right tackle. Moving from left tackle to right tackle is like saying, stop writing with your strong dominant right hand and start writing with your left hand. I'm tired of you writing with your right hand. It's a massive change. A moving from tackle to guard could mask a lot of the weaknesses that Andre Dillard has in his game. And like you said, you can't not start Jordan Mylod after everything that he showed, all the de- development he's gone through, another full off season of development that he's going to get under Jeff Stoutland. You've got to keep him there. So my dream scenario would be Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, Jason Kelsey, Andre Dillard, and then Jordan Mylod from right tackle to left tackle. Um, and like you said, that we do have some good secondary options. One thing you got to give Jeff Stoutland, he can develop le- uh, linemen like you wouldn't believe. It was believe. keeping him. And it was key keeping him on the coaching staff. Absolutely, because, I mean, you look at Vita. He went out and he got paid way more than what he's worth. But good respect for him. He developed well with Jeff Stellan, and he showed and he showed he could address a need for some other teams and that we couldn't afford to address with him. Um, but, like, if this team line stays healthy, 100% I agree with you. We got, if they can stay healthy, you got these guys for two or three years. Dillard, your left side, if you can get Dillard and Jordan Malai to really work together and lock that left side down, you're looking at five-plus years of that left side locked down. The right side can be locked down for another two or three years. That's why I think the need is overstated because you look, we need a shutdown corner across from Darius' site. We need wide receivers. We need to consider the running back position. We need to consider our agent DTs, our agent defensive ends, our linebacker position. The needs are everywhere. And one of the needs that I completely disagree with, we saw 14 different offensive line combinations yep. last year. It is games. way too overstated. There's enough there that the only need that has to be addressed is Jason Kelsey's replacement needs to be addressed this year. They've waited long enough. They've kicked the can down the road. There's so much dead money tied up with him at the end of next season. It's time to address that, whether that be Landon Dickerson, whether that be Quinn Miners, whether that be Creed Humphrey. There are many interior offensive line options to look at for Jason Kelsey's replacement, but it's a way overstated need. And I think that people have to take a more long distance approach here. It's a deep tackle and interior offensive line um, draft. I've seen a lot of like a lot of third round grades and higher uh, at tackle and offensive line. Like we're talking like at least 30 ish that have grades in the third round are better. And probably 40 ish that have fourth round grades are better. So there's options and you don't have to address them with Penny Suel, Rashawn Slater, and Morgan invest in that heavily in the position. I would love Landon Dickerson, by the way. They can get him in the second round. I think he, I think he'll be a second round pick. Um, I don't know if he'll make it to the third round, but if the Eagles can get him, I would love it. All right, so let's move to the defensive side of the ball. <clears throat> uh, we're gonna start with the defensive line, which is I think the other best position group on the team. Um, we obviously know Brandon Graham, Brandon Graham, and Fletcher Cox are, are legit. They're the real deal. Graham making his first Pro Bowl last year. Um, Javon Hargrave, the other starter. Malik Jackson is now in Cleveland. Uh, Derek Barnett, I can't believe the Eagles didn't do something with that guaranteed money. 
Um, what they're guaranteeing them, 10, 10 million this year? Uh, yeah, uh, 10 and a half million. Way, way too much money. Uh, Josh Sweat, who probably should be starting over Derek Barnett right now. Um, and Sweat, if he could stay healthy, has, has a chance to, to be a real uh, player. And, and I think one of the shows earlier, we I had mentioned how if you compared Josh Sweat and Chase Young's numbers for the amount of time spent on the field by Sweat, he was comparable to Chase Young. Chase Young got all the glory because of he's Chase Young and was the number two overall draft pick. So um, Josh Sweat has a chance if he, he's given the cha- uh, chance to play to be a legit uh, opposite of, of Brandon Graham. They need more depth. Hassan Ridgeway uh, um, is the backup tackles, so they, they need more depth there. They need more depth at end. We don't. They're, they're going to draft some defensive ends. Hopefully, again, it's not in the first round. Um, but the Eagles have to find a way to to make to to add players to this position group. I'm going to give them a B plus, um, only because they're lacking depth. And again, Derek Barnett, I need to see it. This is it for him. If he he's got a this is a, a money year for him. Because um, if he doesn't, if the Eagles do do indeed keep him and don't trade him for some, uh, you know, if 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 a trade were to, were not to be made, um, um, they, he needs to to make plays and he needs to stay on the field. So I'm gonna give them a B plus. Yeah, I think I'd probably be in the similar ballpark, A minus B plus. They got that front four solidified. Obviously, Derek Barnett. There's some question marks, but. You got Derek Barnett, you got Brandon Graham, you got Josh Sweat on the end side of it. And the tackles, you got Hargrave and Cox. You've got like a pretty solid starting bunch. But like you said, the depth is just not there. Um, Derek Barnett, huge season, monster season for him. There's nothing you can do now. You're tied up in $10.5 million. So you better pay him, play him as such. And he better produce as such. Or else it's going to come back as a, why didn't you try and extend him? Get three years, kick some money down the road and make him accept something a little bit cheaper but I mean statistically he is not a terrible end when you look around the league he's actually not terrible he's probably in the top like 25 percent of the league as far as edge producers so I mean it's pretty hard to argue that Dirk Barnett is producing just not to the extent that we want a first round pick to be producing for us especially when his his backup and Josh Sweat is putting up comparable or better numbers on every in on any given week. Um, but yeah, like you said, we need to get some people behind. They don't need to be drafted in the first on day one, maybe even on day two, but they need to be sure thing guys that you can develop really quickly and that can be really good options in the case that somebody goes down and they need to move into that spot. So, I mean, this is a rare instance where I say find a good developmental piece. And it seems to be that that's the only thing they're good at doing is the offensive line and the defensive line and finding those developmental pieces to turn into starters down the road. So I would give it probably B plus A minus as well. Okay, and now we got these the the other two position groups. The first we're going to start with the linebackers. Uh, They signed Eric Wilson. He is going to be the starting. I'm going to assume be the starting middle backer. Um, he knows Jonathan. What Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinators, want to do? They had time together in in Minnesota. Um, also, Minnesota's linebacker coach from the last couple of years is now the Eagles' linebackers coach. Um, so he he knows. So Eric Wilson, Alex Singleton, and T.J. Edwards is my guess is what the starters are going to look like. Uh, Jannard Avery moving from defensive end to to linebacker. Davion Taylor, who's the third round pick last year. Sean Bradley was the sixth round pick last year. They have a lot of young guys at the linebacker position, they just don't value linebackers all that often. And there's all this talk of 
you know, if they stay at 12 and depending on how the board goes, if he's there, would you possibly take Micah Parson? The Eagles haven't drafted a linebacker in the first round since the 70s, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was like 78 or something like that. Something insane. Mm. And then there's two okay, – there's not to change. So there's two draft stat, or draft facts by the Eagles that astound me. That they haven't drafted a linebacker in the first round since the 70s, and they haven't drafted an Alabama player mm, since I saw 2003. That one. It's the longest, longest like, uh, streak by a team to not draft a Bama player. 150 draft picks, and they haven't drafted one from Alabama in that long. It astounds me that they, they don't take from the best college program. It, it just doesn't make sense, but we'll talk about that next week a little bit more uh, when we do our, our mock drafts. Um, but, yeah, so the linebackers are not uh, – Eric Wilson, who knows? He was really good in coverage. He's not that great against the run. He's all he's he's all over the field. <clears throat> Alex Singleton all over the field. Um, I'm gonna give the linebackers a C minus. Um, I I liked like TJ Edwards a lot. Um, I like the the pickup of of Eric Wilson. It, it, hopefully, um, Jonathan Gannon. You know he he uses a lot more pressure, blitzes. You know gets after gets after the quarterback. Um, we'll see what the def- defense looks like. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go with a what did I say a C minus for the linebackers. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a C. Um, I do love the pickup of Wilson. I actually posted as soon as we picked him up, I posted a tweet, and his I think it was 120 some odd tackles would have been number one on our defense. And his I think he had I want to say he had four picks or three picks. Three, yeah, three, yep. Three picks would have been number one on our defense as well, mm-hmm. which is really, really bad when you can say your linebacker would lead your team in interceptions. But yeah, like TJ Edwards and Alex Singleton are pretty solid against the run. They're rock solid hitters. When you when they hit, you hear it on on TV. Like you hear those two men hit. So I mean, it's good to get a guy like Wilson who's really good in coverage to mask the weakness that's there with TJ Edwards and Alex Singleton. Um, Jannard Avery, I saw he's putting in some work with the footwork king and he's, he's looking good. He's putting in the work to turn into a linebacker and be used properly as a linebacker, which is probably where he always should have been used. Um, but also like Davion Taylor, Sean Bradley, like you said, um, even Joe Bocci, we have way back down the depth chart. I really liked him coming out last year. Um, he ended up not getting much of a chance to prove himself in the NFL yet when he went to the New Orleans Saints. But, um, there's some developmental pieces there, but yeah, like if you're going to draft linebacker, I mean, it's not a bad class. It's a decent class. I, I One that I've liked that I've mocked to us a lot in round three, which I'm not convinced he makes there, is Jabril Cox out of LSU. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, the linebacker position is going to start to slowly become more of a focus. I just think there's so many other needs, at more pressing needs, that you just can't force the linebacker pick especially when you got singleton and edwards and we're going to see what we have in wilson there's a there's i'm not fully giving up on the linebacker position with less of a focus on the front four there's going to become more of a focus on the dbs and the linebackers so we'll see how that goes in the with the gannon approach yeah i agree so hopefully that they're they're better and we'll, we'll see what going forward let's go to the secondary your starting corners darius slay and uh Right now, Avante I guess Maddox. Avante Maddox, and I hate him on the outside. He's not good. He's not quick enough. He's a better slot corner. Uh, your safeties, Anthony Harris and Rodney McLeod, who's coming off of a 
ACL <coughs> injury. Um, they also have Marcus Epps, Kevon Wallace, Andrew Adams, who they picked up um, in free agency. Um, Kevon Seymour, Lavert Hill, James Craig, the, the guy who got abused against Dallas, Michael Jaquette, uh, Graylin Arnold. Um, they have a lot of names. A lot of guys, they have quantity. They don't have quality. I like the start. I like Anthony Harris. I love that pickup. I think he has a uh, on a one year. They got him for one year's five million dollars. I think that's a steal. I think him and, and Rodney McLeod and McLeod is able to get back in time healthy. They're going to be a good safety duo. Darius Slay, obviously, yes, he he had his bad games against you know DK Metcalf. Um, who else did he get burned against? There, I forget off the top of my head. But he had that stretch where he just got he got lit up uh, in a couple games. But I put a lot of that on Jim Schwartz because Jim Schwartz didn't help him. Avante mm-hmm. again, I mentioned this time and time again. Avante Maddox is too small. He can't play the outside. He gets abused. Oh, Devonte Adams is the other the other receiver that killed um, Darius. Yeah. Um, Avante Maddox is not good. He's not an outside corner. He's a, he's a slot corner or he's a safety. So they need to figure that out. Again, you stay at six, you could get a Patrick Sertan, somebody that could you could legit put on the other side and he doesn't have to be the number one corner right away. Cause you have Darius Slay. He can, you know, build into that. And he has that lineage because his dad, Patrick Satan senior was also very good in the NFL. I think he was a three-time pro bowler. You know, you're, you're, you're getting that family lineage. Um, if you were to take somebody like that. Um, so we'll see what happens, but they need to improve that other cornerback position because if not, they're going to be abused again. If the front four doesn't get to the quarterback, then you know, second the receiver, whoever Avante Maddox is going to cover, is going to have a big day. I'm going to give the secondary a C plus right now, only because I'm not thrilled with the depth um, at corner. Yeah, for me, I'm probably going to go C plus as well. But that has so 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 much potential to skyrocket to like mm-hmm. B B plus, even arguably a minus territory like you said Kevon Wallace has so much development to do he was so hyped he was like a steal of the draft one of the high biggest steals of the draft last season according to a lot of reports so I think there's a lot more to be had there and I think a guy like Anthony Harrison town is going to help immensely um Rodney McLeod as well like the safeties aren't terrible but it's more of a patch job um there's definitely uh Darius says there but Darius say needs help in a in a high octane NFL high passing you need that second outside corner there's teams that have shown time and time again how important it is like the LA Rams showed it that it's so vitally important to have that second outside cornerback who can help shut down both sides and doesn't put as much pressure on the linebackers and the safeties having to support um so for me, same thing. Avante Maddox is definitely more of a nickel corner, and I'd like to see him move there. Um, but like the, I think I was reading, it's one of the deepest cornerback drafts right now. You just got to draft the right cornerback. Don't go drafting a guy who's made to be a nickel like we see them do often. Make sure you're drafting the guy who's made to be an outside corner. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's uh, I like Ed of Minnesota later in the draft. I like Benjamin St. Eust. Um, there's J.C. Horn. There's Patrick Sertan. There's names galore um, with some pretty solid grades and with the true <coughs> shutdown capabilities in a brand new defensive scheme where you're probably going to have the, the need more of a need to play up. I think that that's going to be huge. And you need a guy who's going to be really physical in those first five yards and help that front four. We talked about it for 
I think since we started this show, we've talked about the importance of needing that first shutdown corner and now the need for that second shutdown corner who's going to be super aggressive in those first five yards. Avante Maddox is not that guy. Uh, Rasul Douglas, I loved Rasul Douglas. I think he could have, he's not a great corner because he doesn't have the, the outside corner speed to catch up if he misses, but he was a super, super hyper aggressive guy in those first five yards when he'd be allowed to be. Um, he's still and obviously we went off and saw that he succeeded off in Carolina. So, um, but for me, yeah, I, I'd probably go same as you. I think that it has the opportunity. If you hammer this draft right, you get a safety, you get a cornerback or two that have, have those man shutdown capabilities, and that has the opportunity to really, really spike. Um, but uh, right now, as it stands, not looking pretty, and you're not scaring many people who have that two or three wide receiver sets, and they have very capable wide receivers like Dallas, like the Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, Washington, and like Washington now, but pretty much like the, our entire division, you're not scaring anybody off. So, yeah, so they definitely need to improve the corners. And last but not least, let's move to special teams. Jake Elliott's your kicker, Rick Lovato's your long snapper, and we got rid of our one of our better players last year in um, in uh, what the hell is I can't, I can't believe his name, Cam Johnson Hunter. Yeah, Cam Johnson went to the Texans. Yeah, I think he went to the Texans. Definitely and was our, probably our best player last year. Yeah, exactly. And now our new punter is right now Aaron Sipos. Um, so for special teams, I'm going to give us a a C right now. I don't know what we got in Sipos. Uh, Lovato's a really capable and good, you know, long snapper, and Jake Elliott's very inconsistent. So I'm going to give us a C at special teams. And, again, I don't like Boston Scott returning kicks. He makes dumb decisions. I don't like Greg Ward returning punts. He doesn't catch the ball. He lets it bounce. So they definitely need to make improvements. And hopefully with the new special teams coach and Michael Clay, they're able to make those improvements. So I'm going to go with a C right now for special teams. Yeah, for me, it's a B minus. I mean, Jake Elliott, when he's on, he's on. When he's off, he's off. I suppose it's similar. I think he used to be a rugby player. He can bomb a ball down the field and then that's what cam johnson did it's about how effective you can be when you need to be effective don't let it bounce out the end zone try the coffin corner punt and stuff make sure you bury teams and i think that's what we get out of aaron sippos is one of those guys who hopefully they can develop the way he kicks so they can be a really effective punter like cam was rick lovato it is what it is it's a long snapper he's been uh he's just been a stalwart in amongst that uh uh, special teams unit for for years now um so we know he knows what he's doing and like you said the punt return and kick return i won't read too much into yet until we see the draft and what happens um but yeah i'm giving a b minus because they did the anthony adams moving stuff they did make some moves with they did make a, a move or two here with special teams in mind but you know that that's their specialty of of filling the voids on special teams on the fly heading towards the season usually but our special teams are usually something we don't have to concern ourselves with unless Elliot's missing a whole lot of kicks. Yep, and that's always the potential. So or my overall team grade, when you when you look at it, the Eagles are a C minus right now. They're not a good roster. They need to improve it. Um Howie needs to, as you mentioned, hit on all, all eleven draft picks and they need to find a way to to build or add depth along certain positions. And if they're not able to do it, they're going to be another – it's going to be another bad season. It'll be 14, 5-14. Uh, 
five and twelve type of season. It's still weird doing seventeen games. <laughs> it's odd. But yeah, they're gonna be four a four or five win team and we're gonna be questioning Howie, which I think we're gonna be questioning Howie anyway. Uh but right now the Eagles are a C minus team. Yeah, I'm going to go with a C. I think that there's you can see the potential there. I mean, every year we try to be positive and we try to see the potential. And sometimes, actually quite often, we overhype the team. Um, but I'm not going to overhype it. I'm giving it a C. There's some areas where there's some high upside, but we won't get too caught up in the high upside. But then if you hammer this draft out of the park, you hit on all 11 picks, you address the needs you have to address. You get Jason Kelsey's replacement. You get a an alpha dog wide receiver to step into play. You get that second shutdown corner. If you address those major, major needs that make or break the NFL NFL teams right now as we see them and as we watch them walk out onto the field and play, then we definitely have a really interesting discussion to have as the offseason continues on and as they continue to fill the gaps with those really cheap veteran uh, free agent options as well because obviously post-June 1st, we have some more cap open up and stuff um, when uh, Malik Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey come off the books officially. Um, so obviously, it's going to be really interesting. There, are, Like I said, I don't want to overhype. But if he really hits this draft out of the park and has his best draft as GM of the Philadelphia Eagles, fingers so tightly crossed that my fingertips are turning white here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, then we might be able to have a better discussion here as the months move on. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, obviously, we're, we're getting into the thick of the offseason with the NFL draft less than two weeks away. Next week, we will do our mock draft. Are we doing the Eagles mock draft or are we going to do a first round or both? I don't remember. I think just, uh, just uh, a straight up Eagles mock draft. <coughs> yeah, I mean, Eagles mock. we can do a we can do a first round mock. Maybe we will see how things go. But I want to do yes. the Eagles because it's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember last year. I mean, I had the Eagles taking a couple of. I had them taking a Jack Driscoll, a Kavon Wallace, and I felt I felt good about that. And then like Jack Driscoll looked good. Kavon Wallace couldn't get on the field somehow. So hopefully we'll see, we'll see if the Eagles uh, make some make the right moves this year and get some players to help this team. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at the Kelly green hour. Um, Connor does a great job of, you know, any Eagles news like today uh, with the news of the Eagles opting out of voluntary um, practices and vol- voluntary workouts. Um, you know, Connor keeps everybody updated. It does a great job on that. Connor can be followed on Twitter at Connor 10. That's Connor T E N. If you have any fantasy football advice, obviously, um, or if you have any fantasy football questions, I should say, with you know fantasy football, get, you know, getting ready to with with the draft and what what rookies can be impact players uh, for you on the fantasy, he, he's a great resource to have. And you can follow me on Twitter at ljharrell54. Um, and as always, wherever you're listening to us, please rate and review the show. Um, any advice that you have, any anything you would like us to talk about, talk about, you can always uh, DM us on Twitter. So for Connor, I'm LJ. Thank you for listening to this off-season edition of the Kelly Green Hour.